0: You know, I was taught uh, early in ministry that uh, preachers should ideally have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Now, what was meant by that is uh, that you ministers uh, ministers needed to know what was going on in the world. Uh, now, I would always say, I, I, I always give my primacy, my primary focus is on studying the Bible, what it meant then and what it means today. Uh, but I, I do read the newspaper every day, even though that's increasingly gotten scarier and scarier. I have just a few headlines from within the last year uh, that maybe you read yourself, uh, or maybe you've heard these, uh, read them online, or heard them on the news. The first headline goes, ISIS tortured hostages before beheading them. Second headline, China's crackdown on Christians is growing. A third, economic Armageddon is coming. The criminalization of Christianity is here. ISIS threatens sex slavery for three Christian women. Doomsday clock for global market crash strikes one minute to midnight as central banks lose control. ISIS training newborns young children to kill. Is World War III coming soon? What will happen to you when the US dollar collapses? The superbug that scientists have feared is here. Scary clowns terrorize communities. This one's been just recently. Now, you can come to our fun fest on Monday night. Uh, we won't have any scary clowns here. And, and I've read just this week in the increasing levels of stress and anxiety amongst Americans uh, with the national election that we've had. Whatever side you're on, maybe it's stressed you out. Now, you come to church, you don't want to hear all these headlines, right? I mean, this is depressing. But it actually is right where a lot of us live. In a group of this size, I am sure there are some of us that live with a pretty high level of fear, anxiety. I'm sure there are those of us who our lives are dominated by worry. And then as we look at our national scene We see that these perhaps are times that are scary and are going to get scarier. We don't know what the future holds. So it's very possible that you came into this place today not sure of many things and afraid about what comes next. You know, in 1776, so oftentimes we think that no time is scarier or worse than ours. In 1776... The colonists, the British colonists, many of our ancestors, they uh, rose up against Great Britain, and they undertook what we call the American Revolution. A man named Thomas Paine wrote several pamphlets. As the battle was growing, as it looked as if Britain would overcome the ragtag colonists, he wrote a series of pamphlets called Crisis in America. And the first one was actually read to the uh, Revolutionary Army on December 23rd, 1776, three days before they bought, fought the Battle of Trenton. And these are the words that begin that pamphlet. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. That is, the person who's in the military just for the good times, the peace times, they in this crisis will shrink from their nation's service. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. He goes on, Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I'm here to tell you today, as we continue our study of Matthew 10, not ashamed, that I believe that no matter what comes, and I do think there will be tough times ahead, no matter what comes, you have many reasons not to fear if you trust in God. If you devote yourselves to growing your faith in God, we have multiple promises from God that tell us to fear less. Now, we've been talking about Matthew 10, the last couple weeks. And, and I've told you, Jesus kind of sent out his first disciples on their own. He gave them marching orders. And he said, times, this is not going to be easy. People are going to hate you. People are going to persecute you just because you represent me, just because you stand for me. But you need to persevere. And then we come to this passage today in verses 26 to 31, where three different times he says, do not be afraid. So this is good news for you today. If you identified with what I was talking about earlier, that you have an increasing level of fear, you have a lot of worry in your life, I want you to take today this outline that's in your bulletin. If you are one of those folks who struggle with worry, who struggle with fear, I want you to take this outline and, and fill it out and post it on the bathroom mirror, post it on the refrigerator, so you can go back and refer to this. I think many of us need to fear less. Our days would be so much better. Our effect, our influence would be so much greater if we could learn to fear less. Well, how do we do that? There are five reasons to fear less in Matthew 10, 26 to 31. I'm going to lay them out for you. The first reason to fear less is the truth will prevail. That's what he says. The truth will prevail. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking, giving his disciples uh, his wisdom his marching orders for them. And he says, so do not be afraid of them. That is, the people that persecute you, the people that come against you. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. You know, your senses are heightened if it's dark. You can't see, so your other senses try to make up for that, right? We play this game in our house every night. Uh, cause Josh loves to get up early and he is, uh, so we, we try to, you know, we have a fan that drowns out noise. And, and so this morning, uh, you know, about three o'clock, Brady got home from a concert in St. Louis, which is always bad with one well, of the kids comes in, the other kids come in the middle of the night. And, uh, I, so that we, the lights started going on in his bedroom. Now I don't sleep well on Saturday night anyway, cause I'm excited to come here and preach to you on Sunday, but I. I What's this go on? You know, in in the dark, I was listening. Well, when things are are scary, I think so oftentimes, God speaks to us loudest. I also will remind you of what I said a couple weeks ago. When it is darkest, the light can shine brightest. What he's saying here is, I've given you the truth. I've given you That God's plan is in motion. I've given you that God wants to bring salvation to everyone. And as times get dark, your light, this truth will be made known. And even more, this truth will overcome. This truth will prevail. I say it to you as well. If tougher times come in your community, in your family, if tougher times come in our nation, the Christian has an opportunity To shine brightly his light of truth. To allow his truth to be made known to a wider audience. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Uh, There's a time coming where I'll be crucified and I won't be with you anymore. But then as I come back, then as death is overcome, then as death is defeated, you will have this truth, this promise that lasts beyond this life. You will have a truth that can help people overcome no matter what happens. And so I say this to you, if you fear, if you worry, the truth will prevail. Second reason to fear less, God is bigger than enemies. God, God is bigger than our enemies. Verse 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now we don't like this verse so much, but it is actually and absolutely true. That if God is holy and just, which the Bible teaches us that he is, then it's not possible for people to misbehave or rebel against God and not have some kind of punishment. And so he points forward to the end of this life. He says, don't be afraid of your enemies. I mean, the worst they can do to you is kill you. But there's something far worse than death that is of more concern. How will you stand before God? And he's saying there's this opportunity to be purified. There's an opportunity to be clean before God that's available to everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, so that whoever believed in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody God wants to be saved. He wants them to be his sons and daughters. But that won't be the case. For everybody, everyone, some folks will choose to reject that message, reject that gospel. But he says, listen, you need to understand and and know that I am bigger than all that. I'm bigger than those enemies. So you live for me. You please me. You're going to be taken care of. I'll take care of those who come against you. It kind of echoes what God was telling his people in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21 goes, when you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. A little later, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, but be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. And listen to this, for the Lord your God goes with you he will never leave you nor forsake you. God will be with you. God will help you overcome any enemies that you face. Those are promises. Maybe you want to write down Deuteronomy 31, six on your outline and put it up. You may write it down and put it up on your mirror or on your refrigerator. God will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you. He will be bigger than whatever comes against you. He'll be bigger than cancer. He'll be bigger than bankruptcy. He'll be bigger than those people who criticize you or make fun of you or persecute you because of your Christian faith. He's bigger than all those things. He won't leave you or forsake you. Third reason to fear less. God is in control. God is in control. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Two pennies fell out of my pocket in the room as we were getting ready to, to come out to lead worship, and, and I said, there's four sparrows. And four, why, What's he mean? Uh, you know, in that time, they would bring animals for sacrifice, and uh, for the folks that didn't have a lot, their only choice was to, to use sparrows because they were so cheap. They were so plentiful. You know, I was uh, driving down the road yesterday, and, it was like the attack of the sparrows. They were like flitting in front of me. I, I was like, okay, God, I'm talking about sparrows tomorrow. Yeah, I, I got it. Are not sparrows, two sparrows told for a penny? Well, what's he talking about? This, the key is in that second part of it. He says what? That these sparrows, they are known by me. I, I take care of them. I provide. Well, I've done some research on sparrows this week, found out some things you probably don't want to know. In India, they're considered a delicacy. Can you imagine some sparrow casserole for dinner? One man wrote, they taste like chicken. Why does everything taste like chicken? That's what I want to know. But that's not, we're not talking about eating the sparrows. What he's talking about is the will of God. He is so omniscient, that is, he knows everything, that he can know even when a sparrow falls to the ground. What he's saying is, He knows even when a sparrow dies. And so the point, the inference is, don't you think he knows what you need? Don't you think he knows when you're stressed and when you're worried that you can bring it to him? And don't you think that when he says things like, uh, that all things work together for the good of those who love God or are called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. When he says that to you, you can, you can trust that. You see, our problem is God is so much bigger, so much smarter, so much wiser than us. Everything that happens is in the will of God. It fits into his plan. We can't understand sometimes why that happens, why people get sick, why people have financial troubles, why, why terrible things happen. We don't always get that. But I have read the Bible enough, I have lived for and loved God long enough that I see his beautiful masterpiece of a plan make sense in hindsight as I look back. And I've learned to trust that he's in control, though it seems as the world's going crazy. You read those headlines. By the way, they sensationalize those headlines to scare you, so you'll buy more papers. It's not as bad as they make it, but it is bad, and most likely will get worse, but don't fear. God is in control. Fourth reason to fear less. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. You don't believe that? Verse thirty-one say, or 30 says, it, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. That is, God knows the number of hairs on your head. That's amazing. I did some research on this this week. Scientists say the average human head has 100,000 strands of hair. So you count up the people in your family or even your extended family, that adds up to a lot of hair just in your family, doesn't it? You got 20 in your extended family, 2 million strands of hair. They also tell us that 50 strands fall out each day no matter what we do. I'm convinced as you get older, they fall out faster than that. The amount of hair that each person has varies by color. Blondes have an average of 140,000 strands of hair. So all the blondes are going, I told you, I'm better. Brunettes have 105,000 strands of hair, and redheads have 90,000, sorry. I always wonder, you know, there are things I've got to ask God when I get to heaven. Now, I'm going to be so happy that I'm there and and with him. I I don't think I'll remember to ask the questions, but there is one thing I'm dying to know. Why do men lose hair up here and grow it here? i got to know. But no matter how your hair falls out or where it grows in different places, do you know that God knows all the number of hairs on your head. Now, that is trivial information. What he's conveying is God knows you intimately. He knows you from the inside out. Another place in Scripture, he says, he knows us from our mom's womb. Now, you might think, how is that possible? Well, we, in this age, we have a little more insight into that. We have supercomputers that can process millions of computations in milliseconds. But who made the computer? God's creation, man in his image, man. How much greater is God's wisdom? How much greater is God's capacity that he knows every one of us, even to the number of hairs on our head? Don't you think then he knows when you're scared? Don't you think... He knows then when you're worried. Don't you think then he knows what you need? You know, I, I understand a bit of this, being a father. Yesterday I was coming down the road and, and I saw a, a person running far off in the distance. I was driving, he was running. You know, I was far beyond, far, I was too far away to see any features to identify this person, but I knew who it was because I watched that gate. Many times in 29 years, it was my son, Bo, jogging. Far before I could see his face, because I know him that well. I've been his dad for 29 years, and most of the time, I've been driving, he's been jogging. God knows each one of us like that. Does that not move you, that you're that precious to him? Don't you know he knows what you need? Don't you know there's no better place to put the focus and the party of your life, the trust of your life in his hand, that one who knows you so well, who loves you so much? Instead of fearing, instead of worrying, trust him, grow your faith in him. The fifth reason, you're precious to God. You're precious to God. Don't fear. Fear less. Don't be afraid, he says three times in this passage, the last time in verse 31. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And I can't read that verse without thinking of a few chapters earlier, Matthew 6, verses 26 through 34. I'm going to read these. They don't need a lot of illustration from me. I want you just to listen. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, Or store away in barns. Birds have never taken care of a farm. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? And I would say to Jesus, I don't worry about clothes. But you know what he means. Why worry about material stuff? Which, you know, all of us do that sometimes. See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these, that is, the people who don't believe in God, run after all these things. They pursue those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the kicker. Here's the key. Here, instead of worrying, instead of fearing, here's what you should focus on doing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is, seek to please him. Seek to live rightly before God. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry enough about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom. So I ask you, what changes do you need to make to seek first his kingdom? Instead of worry, please God, live for God. Instead of fear, please God, live for God. 1871, a great fire destroyed much of Chicago. you probably read about this in history books. Killed 300 people and left 100,000 homeless. A Chicago lawyer named Horatio Spafford, he lost part of his fortune in the fire. Now, he was a Christian. He was an associate of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Why did that bad thing happen to him? Well, it happened to a lot of people, Christian and non-Christian alike. After spending a couple of years rebuilding his fortune and helping those who lost everything in the fire... Uh, Spafford wanted to go across the pond, as you call it. He wanted to go to England to help his friend, uh, the evangelist Moody, and his song leader, uh, Sankey, to help them on their evangelistic crusades. And he didn't want to go alone. He thought it would be great to show his kids uh, their homeland. So he booked a, a, a trip on a luxury liner with his wife, himself, and their four daughters. And so in November... Uh, 1873 uh, they set sail except for Mr. Spafford he had unfinished business he had to attend to he promised he'd be on the next ship over so his wife Anna their four children Maggie, Tanetta Annie and Bessie they sailed on ahead without him across the Atlantic on November 21st an English sailing vessel struck the luxury liner caused it to sink in only 12 minutes Hundreds were lost. Only 47 survivors were pulled from the icy waters. Anna Spafford, his wife, the mom to the four girls, was found unconscious, clinging to a piece of wreckage. But her four daughters drowned. And so she sent this wire to her husband, saved alone. Now, I'm sure bad things have happened to you, maybe even this week. But first, have a fire, take a lot of what you had, and then take your four beautiful daughters. A summer faith. A faith that's just for the good times would fade and crumble but Horatio Spafford's faith was strong he believed in a God who knew him the number of hairs on his head he knew God cared much more for him than all the sparrows that are ever created he knew that God was in control. He knew that somehow God's plan would make sense. And so a heartbroken Spafford took the trip because his wife was taken to Cardiff, Wales after she was rescued. He took a trip across the ocean to go reunite with his wife. And when they were right about the spot where the the crash happened, the captain called down to him and had him up to the bridge and he said, this is the spot. Horatio Spafford went back to his room and he wrote a poem. A poem which became a great hymn of the church. Friends, I'm telling you, I want to have a faith that strong. He wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And no doubt, thinking about the day when he'd be reunited with his daughters. He wrote in the last stanza, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. And even so, it is well with my soul. God's bigger than your fear. He's bigger than your worry. If he can take care of the sparrows, be sure he can take care of you and me. Focus on growing your faith, believing and trusting him even when you don't understand the big picture. Give your soul to Him, and it can be well. It can be well with your soul. Others, we think about these things today. I know um, sometimes we can't control it, the worry and the fear, or at least that's what we think. I think it's all about where we look. It's all about where we trust. Maybe we just need to be reminded today to trust you more and to fear less. Or maybe it's new for us. Maybe we're we're just new in our faith or we're exploring. Help us to step forward. Help us to take those baby steps and that lead to giant steps of faith. That we trust you, that we will walk not by sight, but we'll walk by faith. In the darkest times are when we hear you most. In the darkest times are when we can see you best. Help us to trust you and be that light for others struggling around us. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And know that all these things will be taken care of. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.